Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the DMP Podcast, episode 15, and we're back. We're coming back after 26 days of absence because there's not been a lot out that we've been interested in for a start, (laughs) and I lost my voice last week. So No, two weeks ago. So it would have been a very silent podcast. Um, Thankfully, this week, it ain't. Uh, On this week's show, we have Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, the sequel to Sin City. One, um, and we have we have uh, the new uh, David Fincher film, uh, Gone Girl, which is adapted from the famous book called Gone Girl. Um, <laughs> Do you want to be even more glaringly obvious? <laughs> it, was, it was worth a shot. It's, you know, I think it worked. Um, so, uh, Sin City: Dame to Kill For is the relatively unnecessary sequel to the actually rather. I thought it was excellent. I thought Sin City, the first one was excellent. Um, sequel to Sin City. Um, kind of follows the... I'm not going to do a Boston accent, Tom. Well, I can try. Um, follow, it follows... The, it's like a neo-noir crime thriller. If you've not seen like Sin City, then obviously you're probably not going to watch this one. Um, I know, Hugh, you've just finished watching it, so we're going to start with you. What do you think? Uh... I thought it was average. It wasn't terrible. It went really quickly. I can sort of see why it's bombed, though. It's just the first one was, like, unique in the way it was because there wasn't really films like that going around. But the second one, the characters were weaker. Like, I was sort of... I'm sort of sick of that Merv guy, the guy who played Mickey Rourke. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I was sort of sick of seeing him again. I think they they overused him compared to the first film. Like... Oh, no doubt, yeah. He was so overused in this. Well, just compared to the first one as well, like... You know, each story was actually, you know, like, had some substance to it for the entire movie. Whereas in this, it was just kind of like one story with a few extra random characters in the mix. Like, I don't know, that's what I felt like anyway. I also think that, like, the biggest crime the film has, for me personally, was that it was just really dull. It was a really dull film. Like, the the actual art style of the film overall is really, like, it it follows the first film, which I think is a huge plus, because the first film looked incredible, and I think this one looks pretty much on point. Um, I think kind of like the makeup and stuff gets a bit, a little bit like farcical in some parts, but um, I, I don't know. There was just something com- just so dull and that nothing hit like any of the points for me, like with this one compared to, you know, Sin City. Yeah. And even the spirit as well. And the spirit was fucking garbage. Like that was, so the spirit was kind of spawned out of Sin City's six, like cult success, where it was like a whole like neo-noir stylish, heavily... Stylized, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. Is it Zack Snyder? But like, instead, it's Robert Rodriguez. Um, I mean, Tim, because you hadn't seen the first Sin City until recently, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I watched it right before. I yeah. watched the second one. But um, I mean, you said that you yeah. enjoyed like the first and the second. Like, you enjoyed you probably the second one more so than the rest of us because of the first film. Oh, like you know, I, I didn't mind the second one. Like you know, it had its flaws. I thought it was all right. It wasn't as good as the first one, but I just thought like. I don't know, like, as compared to the first one, like, you know, the original Sin City has, like, these three main prominent storylines that all intertwine and, like, you know, run off each other. Whereas in the second one, it's like, I just felt there was really one main storyline, um, which was Clive Owen slash, um... Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin's character. And then, you know, and, like, don't get me wrong, I loved, um... What's his name? Um, Jason Go... Go... Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, like I loved his story arc, but 
it just felt like it didn't do anything. Like it didn't add anything to the story. It didn't really do anything to the timeline or into time with any of the other characters' stories. And it was like briefly there. Like there was maybe half an hour of his story at most. Um, and it was more so just like aimed towards Josh Brolin's character. And then that I was also, it. Oh, sorry, Tim. You no, go. you know, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I was just going to say, um, I also thought, like, the the recastings I didn't like, because I actually liked Clive Owen more than Josh Brolin. Yeah. And I know the Michael Clark Duncan one was, like, forced, because, like, he died. <laughs> but it just annoyed me a bit that they were like that in the film. Plus, like, well, I didn't I didn't realise until about maybe halfway through that Josh Brolin was supposed to be Clive Owen's character from the first one. And, mm. then, I, and then, like, it hit me. I was like, oh, it's that guy. Like, you know, I didn't, didn't even pick up on that. Tom, were you, yeah, well, you about to say something? I was just going to say, like, that, well, the reason why they recasted it was because, like, that Josh Brolin's character, Dwight, is the original Dwight, and he changes his face into the Clive Owen Dwight, which is why he's got, like, the similar, ha- similar hairstyle and shit towards the end of that story. Like, he dresses the same kind of thing and all that. And they're going to get Clive Owen to play the role again, but he's doing some TV show, so they couldn't get him to do it. Oh, that's right, because he's on the nick at the moment, the, the well, <clears throat> Was I the only one who WTF'd when um, Josh Brolin was playing the other guy? Because I'm like, why Why is he there? Why is, like, Josh Brolin... What other guy? Marv? Um, you mean... Wait, what? What do you mean? What other guy? Sorry, no, when he played the guy that they came from Texas that was meant to be helping Eva Lord. Oh. And he changed his face to pose as him. Oh, right, yeah. And they kind of trying to make him um, Clive Owen-esque. Yeah, yeah. but, like, I, I was just... Because they didn't really flush that out, that, like, he was pretending to be this random guy. Like, I actually had to go on the Wikipedia, so I'm like, is Josh Brolin playing two characters in this film? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess maybe I'm a retard and I'm the only one who thought that. But I honestly was so confused, like, at that and why he was there. Oh, I just figured that's just what his face looked after he got fixed back up. Oh, I know, but was... for me, it just looked like... Obviously, because you know it's him, it just looked heaps similar, so I was just... Oh, yeah. so you actually thought it was a completely diff- different character? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hugh. I want to talk about... Um, I know we've got a huge love of this person on the, on the podcast, Eva Green, because, <laughs> because she was basically the one thing that really stood out for the, like for this, because she just seems to be Because she fucking... was naked 95% of the time. Yeah, she, well, she was naked that, more but... time, like, her on-screen presence was more naked than it was wearing any form of clothes at all. Like, I actually, the amount of outfits she wore, I can actually remember, she had the blue dress <laughs> and then the, then the purple gown, and that was it. Like it's good that you've actually that, memorized. That's her. That was her outfit for five minutes, and then the rest she's just naked. I was like, okay, whatever. Oh, uh, like, come on, sure. you can't k whatever that. We we all know how all of us feel about Eva Green, but in but besides the point that she was naked for ninety five percent of the film, do you think that her performance was the standout of the film? Because I feel like it was. Yes. Because mm-hmm. she kind of just eats that stuff up. Like she eats camp up a lot, like really well. That's the only memorable one. <laughs> I wonder why, that's, Tom. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's for science reasons, right, Tom? Yeah. Science. Um, yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, I mean, it's pretty disappointing given the fact that the actual cast of the film and even the original is just... It's actually a really solid cast. Like You can you know, see why it bombed, though. 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it only made, what, $35 million on a $65 million budget? That's fucking mm, awful. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't even showing in all those theatres in Australia. Like, I was gonna, wasn't even showing in any of my locals, and they're not exactly small, the locals, so... Yeah. I don't know about you guys, how far you had to go. Oh, I, they, had them, they, had, they had it here, it, at my locals, but they only had it for, like, maybe a week and a half. Yeah, I think it was that the same for us as well at event. I'm pretty sure it was because they had they only had like three sessions for it like when it came out because when we were looking it up on the times, yeah, there was nothing. I mean, if I was, I think it was, was it, oh, distributed by Dimension and Miramax, yeah, they, they would be kicking themselves looking at that box office intake. Although, again, it might do like, it might do decently on DVD like John, uh, John Carter, may we always remember, um, like, did, <laughs> never forget. like, did never forget, did, um, like, especially well on DVD and Pacific Room as well, apparently made a lot of, like, it's kind of post-box office budget via DVD. So, for all we know, A Dame to Kill For could be decent on DVD, but to be completely honest, I don't think it will. Um, I also wanted to just talk about whether you guys felt, and I, Tim, I might just, like, leave you out for this one, because I know that you've only just seen Sin City recently, but... You and Tom, how necessary do you think this film is? I'll start with you. Sin City? Yeah, the second one. like the Dame to Kill For. Like the first one, obviously, you know, that's fine. But the necessity for the sequel, what do you what do you think? Like, I, I personally think that it just, when it, even when it was announced, I kind of was like, eh, okay. Why? Well, I, I really liked the first one, so I was excited. But then it got bad reviews, and I watched it, and I'm like, this stinks. <laughs> I was like, I was like Mr. Sherman in the Asylum in The Simpsons. Like, it stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Like, that was me. Like, watching Sin City. But that's the second like, one you're talking I've... about, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the first one was fine. I know what you were saying. Like, but yeah, second one really average film. I thought. Yeah. Tom? Yeah, I think maybe 2008 would have been a lot better. Like three years. Like the <laughs> like the nine year gap was just it kind of just shot it in the foot. Yes, there was, like, an audience for it, but that audience probably would have been bigger back in 2008, maybe 2007. Yeah, I, I don't understand why these films are leaving sequels so late. I think it's, it's probably just, because uh, they're just trying to tap into markets, like, cult markets now. It's like the kind of the Firefly thing, may we always never forget. Um, but, like, the, like, there's a cult following, so obviously studios, rather than trying to risk in quotation marks, you can't see me, but in quotation marks, risk going with an original property, even though the majority of, like, box office winners this year was were original properties, like Guardians and so forth. Um, I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, people on message boards, and it's like, kind of like, a like it's like a so the social media thing, they're kind of seeing that people are like, oh, we want a Sin City sequel, but it's only like 200, like 200,000 people out of a potential 400 million people. But I think they kind of see that there's a built-in audience for it, and they can probably perhaps expand on that. But that's how I see it, anyway. Like I can now, now, like personally now. think it, it's completely unnecessary. But anyway, Tom. Now, now I'm getting worried for the Deadpool movie. Like, uh, why, why would you like, say that kind of stuff? It's PG-13, I, isn't that? That's what exactly. They haven't is, confirmed it yet. They okay, haven't confirmed right. it. Well, I it, thought it was it could, because it that's be. why everyone was like, "Oh my god, they finally confirmed it." Is Ryan Reynolds in it? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. That, that he's been attached like since forever. Like, but I always thought he was like, "Oh, I'll only do it if it was R-rated." So, how are you gonna feel if the Deadpool movie is worse than BVS? Oh God, Tom. We need to. What we was need that? To hear what you said. Go, because we need to hold. Uh, the talk. 
Oh, oh fuck. <laughs> uh, no, man. Like, well, Deadpool's out first, so if it's shit, that means it's going to be shit. Wait, and Deadpool's then, out before Batman vs Superman? Yeah, it comes out like Valentine's Day weekend. Yeah, well, Batman vs Superman, we're like, we're just going to delay this to as long as possible. Surely we can't fuck it up. And like, I think that's it. It's literally like the delay. They delayed it from 2015 because they need more time to put in all the other Justice League characters. And then they decided they weren't game enough to go up against Captain America, so they delayed it again because they've got little tiny balls. I'm gonna I don't know why so they wouldn't go up against Captain America. Batman. I actually think it would have done all right against Captain America. It probably would have beaten it. Yeah, it would have. I, know. I reckon it probably would have as well. Uh, and, and you know we all do circle jerk Marvel, but I reckon Batman vs Superman is a it's, oh, yeah, no, a huge Bam- thing. Batman's as big as any DC villain, and like Superman's also huge, like in the same film. Like I, oh, sorry, Captain America's big, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm gonna laugh so hard, Tommy, for Batman vs Superman is literally just Batman vs Superman with some Wonder Woman there, and there's nothing else there, and well, all these things are trolls. Like- and uh, then Tom's like, I love this movie. And then we're going to call him out the podcast. It'll be the greatest thing ever. I'm just saying. At, at, at the moment, all that I enjoy about this movie is the Batmobile. Oh, yeah, that's, that looks all right. That's it. All right, so uh, like, actually, actually getting back to reviewing the movies <laughs> for this session. But enough no, about Tim, Batman and Superman. Tim, you're not involved in this conversation. Yeah, still clearly not. Maybe City. you guys can release like a Tim. sub, sub <laughs> you know... <laughs> Tim, I didn't ask, ask that I needed you to sit out for this one because I was talking to him about Sin City and how necessary it was. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> See, unnecessary sequels, Batman vs. Superman. Superman. Um, okay, so let's get a verdict. Uh, Hugh, Sin City, Dame to Kill 4, out of 10. Five. Whatever you want to do it. I think he said five. five. He said five. five. He was really Sorry. Uh, t- uh, Tim? Ah, oh, yeah, five, six. I'm just meh. Don't really care for it. <laughs> and Tom? Yeah, I'd say five as well. It's just it's a middle of the ground movie, but it doesn't do anything except be does. It's what you want it to be. Yeah, like it's it was you know worth watching, but you know like it's like what you said the other day, Nick. It's just really fan service for the sake of it. Like it doesn't really add anything to the overall arcing story. It's just kind of like eh, whatever. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. I didn't enjoy it at all. I'll probably give it a four out of ten, but that's just me. It's, yeah. Anyway, we're going to move on to Gone Girl. Um, now, we are going to do... Uh, this is completely spoilers. So, if you're listening and you want to watch Gone Girl with going in without any knowledge of what's going to happen or whatever, then you need to tune out 3, 2, 1, now. Great. So, Gone Girl is David Finch's new film with Ben Affleck um, about... Was he, he was a writer, wasn't he? Um, he's like a, a writer who's got like a fucking bad marriage and his wife goes missing. And uh, It was a really good marriage until... Oh, sorry. No, it was a solid al- a marriage until, what, the fifth wedding anniversary? Well, it was, it was more so because of the, um, like the events that led up to it. Like, they had a really... Both of them lost their jobs. Um, Recession. And then, like, yeah. um, they got, like, bankrupt or something and then um, Ben Affleck's mum died or they they moved back home they moved back to missouri to look after her, and then she died and then they were kind of just stuck there because they didn't have any jobs oh, and then right, yeah. um they used uh, his wife had um a trust fund of over a million i believe or close to a million but then her parents um had to use like 90 percent of it because they also lost their jobs or something as well so they were like left with like next to nothing yeah the economy um but yeah, basically his wife goes missing on the fifth wedding anniversary and it 
yeah, basically snowballs from there. Um, Tim, let's well, let, let's start with you. I mean, I, I was in the theatre with you, and it, like, initially it was kind of like relatively slow, and it's it, it kind of does splurge with a lot of backstory. But then once that kind of is done, then it starts getting kind of balls to the wall. Yeah, it's it's, it's, stuff. it's pretty slow, but I guess it, it kind of has to set everything up so you know why things started to go bad. Um, but yeah, until I like on the morning of, um, you know, him waking up and she's missing and, you know, it starts exploring what, you know, why she's missing or like, what was like the third or fourth day she's been missing. It starts getting pretty hectic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It started getting pretty, pretty good from there on in. Um, but like what we were talking about earlier, I, di I didn't enjoy, like I was expecting there to be more twists and turns throughout the whole movie and kind of up until about halfway where they kind of reveal everything really um, then it's just kind of just a normal kind of dramatic thriller I found like it wasn't really there weren't really many twists or subplots after that no yeah I, I kind of feel like that like in like the twist with Amy was it was a, like it felt like a, a good twist even though it was kind of something that you that is not overly surprising yeah you know like, like the, yeah, the fact that she's alive and that she's kind of tr is trying to frame him because she's essentially a fucking psychopath or so is, is it psycho <laughs> yeah, or a sociopath one of the two or both uh, you know. so same thing isn't it no they're actually different no, I don't care I'm not a psychiatrist <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks but, for your input Tom <laughs> but no worries I'm here all day I, I liked how the film kind of painted Nick as like okay yeah you need to start thinking a bit sus on this guy and then it kind of does a 180 on him and it's like alright now we let's get some vengeance on Amy once we work out that Amy's actually a fucking crazy yeah I, I did like that because it does paint it as if like you know it, it makes him like to be really innocent to begin with because like you know if you if you like made you know murdered your wife or whatever like why would you call the cops and that's what he does like he calls the cops straight away and Let's him investigate him, and he, you know, fully cooperates. Which is, you'd kind of think, okay, you know, if he was guilty, why would he be doing this to begin with? But then it starts revealing more and more evidence, and you're like, oh, well, fuck, because it does those flashbacks, and you know, paints him in a much negative, you know, light because he was like, you know, beating his wife, and or you know, yeah. so 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 called beating his wife. Well, there's, that, there's like, that moment in that flashback when he throws her on, on the staircase, and when we were in the theater, there was kind of like a like a bit of like an audible gasp when that yeah. happened. Yeah, like, oh and God, it's kind of like because you know, you're, I guess at that point you're expecting that everything Amy's kind of recalling to be truth, and so you go, oh well, like you know, he he threw her down, like maybe maybe things were that bad, and then yeah, and then it just like reveals. You know, does the big reveal, and you're like, "Oh no, Amy's just batshit crazy." <laughs> like, yeah, she's fucking insane. Insane, yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah. Hugh, let's let let's go with you. I mean, you and like you really enjoyed this, didn't you? You thought it was excellent. Yeah, I thought it was a really good film. One of the bits with Amy I thought was really cool was that that slow build up, like crazy music that like reaches a crescendo when she slits uh, Desi Coglins, played by Neil Patrick Harris's throat. That that like did you guys did you guys yeah. pick up that theme earlier in the film? The um, like, yeah, the soundtrack from uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who did the Social Network one, is really good. Like it's scary. Like it's kind of creepy. It's it's you know it's not like a score that kind of takes over. It's it's just present. And like with that, when you're saying Hugh, when when like it comes to that part where she slits his throat, 
and it kind of just like explodes like mm. th- yeah i totally agree like it's it's wonderful that That's scene cool. was yeah. brutal though like mm. you know yes like you knew like you know in the scenes um before you know she grabbed the knife and you're like oh you know is she going to cut herself to make it look like that she was attacked or and then like you know she pulls it out and i'm like oh she's just going to stab him and run away but no nah, she just went like the full nine nine miles and fucking yeah that was pretty crazy yeah i did did anyone else think like i thought i thought this for the whole film until at the end but um you know how she's having sex with desi and then he has an orgasm and then she slits his throat i thought the baby was going to be his uh, well, see, I, I almost thought that as well because um, it wasn't like, you know, I'm assuming it wasn't just at that time, you know, that they slept together either. Like, because she was, she was at his place for, what, 29 days or something, wasn't it? Like, yes. she, she was there for like almost a month. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, they obviously slept together with each other a lot more times. And that's what I kind of thought as well. Like, when she, because he said um, that... Because at the end, when she says she's pregnant, and he's like, oh, I haven't touched you, you know, like, I haven't touched you for, like, the last month. I assumed that it was also Desi's, but then they didn't really expand on that. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, he's pregnant, and he's just accepting responsibility and just going along with it, like... But there's the letter from the sperm clinic that said, like, they are going to destroy his, um, his, sper- like, Ben Affleck's sperm...